tell. I did, I did, I did, yeah, I did it right well. Welcome to another episode okay. of Talk. Our guest today ran her first Iditarod in 2022. As a matter of fact, she made it all the way to Nome, but was considered was not considered a finisher. She went back in 2023 and officially finished. This year, her husband and Iditarod veteran, Jeff Dieter, will be running the Iditarod. Please welcome to the show, Katie Jo Dieter. Hi, Katie, and welcome to the show. Hi, girls. To get this things to get things rolling, could you share a bit about yourself and what initially sparked your interest in mushing in the Iditarod? Um, I first came to Alaska in 2010. I'm originally from Northwest Wisconsin, where well, we do have cold and we do have snow, but getting into dog sledding is a little bit harder. There's not so many kennels, and a lot of the people that have sled dogs in Wisconsin only have a few. Um, and so to really get started in dog sledding to learn about dog sledding I decided to come to Alaska instead um so that was in 2010 and I got a summer job working at a tour kennel in Juneau uh that's where I met my husband Jeff who at that time had already run his first Iditarod and had sled dogs and so after we started dating um I got to learn a lot more about dog sledding and um let's see from about 2000 15 uh, to 2018, I really started helping him train his race team as he got um, back into racing. When I met him, he had sort of been taking some time off, wasn't really racing anymore. But about four or five years into our relationship, he started wanting to race again. So I was helping him with those race dogs. And then eventually I got interested in racing myself, um, probably around 2019, um, and then, so by 2022, I, I ran my first Iditarod. We understand that you were from Eau Claire, Wisconsin. How has your Wisconsin background influenced you mushing your, your mushing journey? So I'm actually from Rice Lake, Wisconsin, which is about an hour north of Eau Claire. Um, but if you don't know anything about Wisconsin geography, saying I'm from Eau Claire, that's pretty close enough for most people. Um, I think that... Being from a cold place is very helpful um, when you think about becoming a dog musher because you're not afraid of the cold. Um, I have met people in my life who say that they want to run the Iditarod but have never actually spent much time in the cold. Um, and so I think those people really can't, they don't really understand what they're saying when they, when they say that they want to run Iditarod. Um, but I think being from a cold place, also being from a rural place, you know, um, there was a time in my childhood when my mom and I didn't have running water. And so I was, you know, using the bathroom outdoors, um, I was washing my face and my body out of a bucket, you know, and, and so I think living that way as a kid for a while, um, it just makes you tough. It makes you brave. And um, you need to be both of those things for running the Iditarod. I'm going to jump in. I have a question for you about Rice Lake. Are you familiar with the Tuscobia uh, ultra running race? I know of the Tuscobia trail. It ran right by my house as a kid. Um, I didn't know there was an ultra race on that though. That's cool. Yeah, it's in the winter time and I have friends do it. And it's, it's like, it's a qualifier for, for I did the ITI Iditarod trail on foot. So I have some friends that do it uh, every year. Yep. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, 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 that's great. The Tuscobia Trail is is fantastic. Go ahead. 
Rice Lake is not that far from us in Iowa. Also, there is a formal, former teacher on the trail, Terry Hankey, that lives there. She also writes for Eye on the Trail for the Iditarod. That's right. Yep. The 2022 Iditarod sounded like a wild ride, especially with the blizzard so close to the finish. Can you take us inside that storm, sharing your experience and how it impacted your mindset and plans for it? plans for races to come? Um, you know, I've written quite a bit about that storm. Um, I did a blog post about it and there was a newspaper article about it afterwards. Um, we were in that storm for a long time. And so I'm not going to walk you guys through point by point. Um, but it was certainly, it was, you know, a life-changing experience for me. And I think for my husband, um, bad weather on the trail can be really, it can be really, really fun as long as everything works out and you make it through, um, the storm. But for that storm to shut us down in the way that it did, you know, we were pinned down essentially with like no shelter, no cover. Um, we were warm enough because we were wearing the right clothes and we had the right stuff with us. Um, but it wasn't an experience that I wanted for my dogs. You know, it wasn't nice for them. They were okay. They, they didn't get frostbite. They survived. Um, they, they were fine. Once I got them into shelter and I got them warmed up, they were completely fine. Um, but in the moment, you know, dogs are so in the moment. Um, and so I knew that in those moments that we were out there, they were just thinking about that moment probably and how uncomfortable they were. Um, and they couldn't really conceptualize maybe that like it was going to get better. And, and it was hard for me to conceptualize that it was going to get better. You know, I didn't know how we were going to get out of that situation. So I think that, you know, it's just, it's scary to not be able to control your environment and something that a lot of people don't really get to experience. Um, you know, if you're cold, you turn on the heat and if you're hot, you turn on the air conditioning. Um, and so to be somewhere where I couldn't, I couldn't get shelter. Um, I couldn't get my dog's shelter and I really had no control over the situation. That was, that was really tough. Um, and so I think, you know, I just, I thought a lot about how we got ourselves into that situation and how to make sure that it never happened again. Um, certainly in 2023, I was more cautious leaving those coastal checkpoints. Um, you know, not only getting weather forecasts um, and trying to understand what the weather was like on the trail in front of me, but also looking at that, um, the tracker, the GPS tracker, watching the teams in front of me, making sure that they were actually making positive progress um, and that they weren't, you know, trapped in some sort of weather event. So uh, yeah, it's, it's something that I think about a lot. Um, you know, in the moment I felt very weak and I felt like that storm was beating me. Um, I think that, you know, probably ultimately it made me a, a stronger and tougher musher because of it. Um, even though at the same time, it also, I think made me more cautious um, and more like calculated probably as well. Looking back on that, that intense situation, what were the big lessons you took away and how do they shape the way you 
for the next race? Um, well, I think, you know, I just mentioned uh, getting that weather forecast before leaving checkpoints um, and watching the tracker um, to check those teams in front of me. I feel really lucky that we have those things. Um, you know, I think about this race even 15 years ago, um, there were no trackers and internet connectivity in rural Alaska has always been challenging. Um, and so the ability to check the tracker is very, very new. Um, and then the option to get weather forecasting is also, you know, fairly new, I would say. And also like, even to this day is still pretty inaccurate. Um, a lot of where the weather monitoring stations are, are in communities and you can have huge spaces between communities. Um, like there's a weather station in safety and there's a weather station in white mountain, but those, those two communities are 70 miles apart from each other. Um, and so there is a lot of really, uh, there's a lot of, of, uh, space there that isn't covered. Um, and because those portions of the trail are right on the Bering Sea, um, things can be really different as you change topography or as you move inland or as you move towards the water. Um, you can have really like micro weather systems that those weather forecasting stations aren't picking up. Um, and so I do things now like, you know, I check the weather and I check the tracker, but, um, you know, it's always, things can always still go wrong. There's not much you can do about that. You know, you just kind of have to, I guess, know that and accept that um, before you hit the trail. Like, I guess I've learned that I can't just get through any type of weather. Like, there is weather out there that will, it will shut you down no matter how much you think you're prepared or how good you think you are. After the ups and downs of 2022, what kept you going and mo motivated you to jump back into the Iditarod in 2023? And how did you approach it? It differently this time around? Um, I think, you know, my approach in general is pretty much the same in terms of like getting ready. Um, as for being motivated, I think that there was a lot of really great things about 2022. I had fun. I enjoyed the experience overall. Um, and it was something that I, I wanted to do again. You know, um, there were parts of it, of course, that I didn't like, um, like right at the end. But it helped for me to hear that the storm that we went through was a pretty rare um, storm. It was something that shouldn't happen two years in a row. <laughs> um, that being said, you know, I think that our climate is changing and, and things that used to be abnormal or historically strange are not anymore. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I think, I think that it's important to not look at one thing that happens, one blip, one moment, um, in a thousand mile race, and then use that thing to characterize your entire race. Um, 2022, like I had a storm. Yes. But I also had a lot of really really awesome, beautiful runs that were not stormy and not scary. Um, and just were really fun. It was just really fun to be out with my dogs. Um, Jeff also, after the 22 Iditarod said that he was ready to take a year off. Um, he didn't really care about going back in 23. 
And so that sort of left the door open for me to say, well, you know, one of us should run. And so if he didn't care about running, then it was a really good time for me to, to go back. Um, I think it's good that I went back right away. I think if I had waited, um, maybe it would have been harder to go back kind of a, you know, getting back on the horse kind of a thing. As you kicked off the right off the race in 2023 what were you feeling emotionally and what was going through your mind especially after the challenges of the previous year I think that leaving the start line in 23 I did a a fairly good job at just focusing on the first run which is what every musher should be doing if you are leaving Willow and you're already thinking about Koyok or Elam or White Mountain you're doing it wrong because there's no there's no guarantee that you're going to get there. Um, Being at mile zero is not the same as being at mile 900. And so it doesn't matter how many Iditarods you've run or how smoothly you think they've gone. Every single musher off that start line should be thinking about that very first run. And so that's all I was doing was I was thinking about the first run. Um, There's a lot of scary things that we go through before we get to the coast. It's not like the coast is the only bad part. Um, The first run is pretty easy. Um, The second run gets a little more technical. Then the third and fourth runs are are pretty nuts as you're going through the steps and the gorge and the burn. Um, And so those things were probably on my mind more um, leaving the start line than the coast. But um, yeah, I, I think I did a good job just kind of staying focused on that first run. And then it was finally, I think, in maybe Unilacleet, um, where you actually um, are by the ocean and you can tell, you can feel that it feels different. You can tell you're somewhere else. Um, I think finally in Unilacleet, I started to kind of think about the the runs on the coast and how that was going to be. Crossing the finish line in 2023 has must have been a moment. Can you paint a picture of what it felt like compared to the year before? Crossing the finish line um, in 23 was obviously it was great. um, But it was a very long run to get in there from White Mountain to Nome. Um, I was very tired. My dogs were tired. Um, The snow was really, really sticky. um, And so the sled didn't glide very well. I had to do a lot of work to help my dogs. I was pedaling and ski pulling and running. And I did that for about the last 200 miles of the race. Um, so I was just really like physically very sore um, and, and exhausted. And so in terms of <clears throat> really feeling like I had achieved something and having my finish line moment, that was really up in the hills um, in the place where I had been shut down in 22 Um, to get out of those hills this year by myself without assistance, um, that for me was like a finish line, you know, that was, it was strange. You know, I, I came over the very last hill and you have no idea that it's the last one. As you leave white mountain, it's pretty flat for the first 10 miles. And then you start climbing into what are called the Topcock Hills, but they really, they like feel like little mountains. There's no trees anywhere. Um, there's not much change in the topography. It's just white triangles everywhere. Um, and so you're just going over like up one and down and then over another one and down. And it's just mountain after mountain after mountain. And you just feel like they're going to go on forever. 
Um, but when I finally got to the last one, I could see the ocean out before me. And I knew that that was the very last one. Like I had made it through that section that was so difficult in 22. And so being at the top of that last hill and knowing that, you know, I just had to go down, we were going to be on the ocean and that I was going to be pretty much flat all the way to Nome. Um, that was really, for me, that was the most emotional part of the race. And that was the first moment that I actually knew that we were going to make it. Um, I think that there, you know, there have been a lot of mushers that have scratched even closer to the finish line than I was in 22. I know that it seems like, oh, I was, I was right there and I was close, but I was still 45 miles away. There have been mushers that have scratched from my Diderot just a couple miles away, just three or four miles away. Um, but I knew when we were at the top of that last hill, I knew that no matter what, we were going to make it. So that was very emotional for me. Exciting to hear about your role as a speaker at the 2023 Iditarod Educators Conference. What the, what the message or insight you're hoping to share with the educators? Um, I'm really going to just talk about the basics of how the race works. I think that a lot of educators know that already, um, but I'm hoping to share some insights that maybe they don't know. Like I'm going to talk about the different things that we pack in our sleds versus the things that we send out on the trail. Um, and I really just hope that the educators come with lots of questions. I prefer to um, talk about mushing and, and what we do just with a question and answer format. I don't really like presenting information because um, it sort of assumes what people know or don't know. And I, I don't like assuming. Um, so I'm gonna talk about just a couple basic um, logistical things with Iditarod and then um, open it up for questions and hopefully they have some good questions for me. Looking ahead, any plans to tackle the Iditarod again or any other dreams or goals for your future in mushing? Um, I don't know about running the Iditarod again. I, I would say that this is a terrible time to ask a musher that question. Um, our days are very short. It's pretty cold. Um, we're just doing a lot of training. It's a lot of not sleeping. It's a lot of repetition. Um, I think if you asked me that question in the summer, I might have a different answer for you. But right now I'm like, ah, <laughs> oh no, I'm just helping Jeff train his Iditarod team. Um, I am running a race at the end of January called the Cuscoquim 300. Um, that's a very competitive mid-distance race. Um, lots of very good mushers in that race. Um, in theory, I'll be having our best dogs. Jeff and I will each be in that race. I'm hoping to take our most competitive dogs. And Jeff will take some of our younger and older dogs and go a little bit slower. Um, so that's very exciting. I'm, I'm really excited to compete with some of the best mushers, um, I think, in the world in that race. So that should be, that should be exciting. And then... Um, I will actually be on the Iditarod Trail this year as a reporter um, for the Iditarod Insider. So I'm super excited to be out there um, bringing interviews from the trail. I'll be on the live feed a lot. So if you guys are watching any of the live feed, you'll see me out there. So 
Um, that's about as far ahead as I'm looking right now in terms of my mushing goals. Finally, we have the Iditarod favorite five. We have five different Iditarod topics. We'd like to know your favorite, favorite musher. Favorite musher, that's my husband, mm -hmm. <laughs> Jeff Dieter. <laughs> favorite Iditarod book. I think the last time the girls asked me this question, I said The First Great Race by Dan Seavey, um, which is awesome. I, I totally recommend it. I love it. But I should also mention um, the book called The Cruelest Miles. It's not about Iditarod specifically, but it's about the serum run um, in 1925, the diphtheria epidemic and, and the dog teams that brought the serum to Nome. Um, it's just a fabulous book. It's very, very well researched. Um, so interesting. I've listened to it on audiobook a few times now while on the trail with my dogs, which is really, really special. Um, I also have a hard, like a hard copy of the book. Um, and it has a lot of great photographs. So I think that that one also deserves a mention for sure. Favorite checkpoint. My favorite checkpoint is Nikolai. Um, Nikolai has awesome hospitality. The local people that work that checkpoint are so friendly and so organized. Um, there's great food that is free for mushers. There's a dark, warm, comfortable place to sleep. Um, there's also running water, which is really great. Um, it's not something that I thought I would ever care about, um, or miss necessarily while I'm on the trail. Um, but those first few days are usually pretty warm and you just, you get dirty. Like I just, I find myself touching raw meat, um, or other things accidentally. I'm sticking my hands in my dog's mouths to give them pills. Um, and so I just, it's just nice to be able to wash your hands. Um, Nikolai is also the first checkpoint that you get to after you have gone through, um, the gorge and the steps and the burn, like, you know, all that stuff is behind you when you get to Nikolai. And so getting to Nikolai is kind of this feeling of like, oh, okay, like all that, you know, really technical sled driving is behind me. Um, there might be other challenges coming up in the interior of Alaska. Like it can be very cold um, and it can be windy, but typically the runs from like Nikolai to Takatna, McGrath, um, you know, Ofer are pretty, um, in terms of technical sled driving, they're, they're fairly, um, mellow. And so there's just, when I get to Nikolai, there's always just a big sense of like relief and, and, uh, coming home. It's a really nice place to, to relax and take a breath. Your favorite volunteer. Uh, my favorite volunteer is Donna, uh, Russell Swope. I think I got that right. Um, Donna, she's a, a trail, what do I want to say? Judge, race judge, I think is what you would call her. Um, so at every checkpoint or at most checkpoints, there are race judges um, that make sure that we're uh, following the rules. They help to answer any questions that we have about fairness. Um, like this year, my sled was broken twice on the trail and I got help um, in one checkpoint. I got help from a volunteer, but I had to get permission from the race judge for that. Um, his name was Andy, the judge that gave me permission for that. Um, and then in another checkpoint, it was a race judge named Warren um, who actually helped me with the second repair on my sled. 
So anyway, you know, those judges are important. Um, they can be super helpful. And Donna has just been there for me at a lot of, um, a lot of like sort of emotional times in my race. Um, she was there on the Copper Basin 300 in 2020. Uh, that was the first race that I ran by myself. It was my first 300 mile race. It was super, super cold. Um, and she was there in the checkpoint at Myers Lake. Um, and that's kind of where I first met her. And then um, she was there this year in Anvik when I broke my sled. And my team looked amazing and beautiful and ready to go. But I felt terrible because I had broken my sled for the second time. Um, and so Donna was just there to, to give me a hug and uh, let me know that it was it was fine and, and normal and life will go on. And then um, she was there in Elam, um, where I had just come through really, really bad wind this year from Koyuk to Elam that felt a lot like 22. And um, she just reminded me to eat and to sleep. And I wanted to stay for a long time in Elam until the wind stopped blowing. But she told me to get my butt back on the sled and go over to white mountain. Um, so she's just, she just happens to have been there for me during some pretty important times on the trail. Favorite former muscle or champion. Um, this year I'm thinking a lot about my friend Brent Sass. Um, I know he's going through some stuff right now and, um, I just, I think he's a great dog guy. I think that, um, he deserved that win in 2022. It was hard fought and well won. And, um, I would love to see him win another one. Thank you so much, Katie, for being on the show. You're welcome. Special thanks to our guest, Katie Jo Dieter, for being on our show this week. If you enjoyed this episode, please stop by iTunes and leave us a review. It helps us with our ratings. Also, if you don't have, if you have any questions, comments, or people you would like to hear on the show, email us at huskytalk1 at gmail.com. If you, if we hear from you or you leave a review, we will read it on the show. We would like to also give credit to Hobo Jim for our intro song, that I did our outro song, and our outro song, Betty to the Here's to Joan, it's off we go, in the land of the midnight sun. They call this race the Iditarod Trail To me it's Reddington's Run In my heart it's Reddington's Run